Wow, good morning. Was, uh, I bring you greetings this morning from the great nation of Kapolei. We flew in early this morning to get here. And uh, <laughs> no, I get it. Look, I grew up in town, so anything past Kalihi is far, right? So you're just kind of like, wow, Kapolei, that's so far. And uh, it is. And so, but no, I'm one of the pastors there at uh, Harbor uh, West Oahu out there with Pastor Justin. And so, yeah, super. Um, Excited to be here to uh, just share God's word with you. Uh, Pastor Matt Dirks and I have been friends for many, many years, and so it's just been a, a great uh, friendship, partnership over the years. And so, um, but welcome to the last Sunday of 2023. Amazing. Here we are. And uh, this is the last message of the message series that we've been in over the last uh, just over a month or so called Radiant. And if you remember that we started off this series talking about the radiant obedience of Abraham, and then we talked about the radiant faith of Moses, the radiant humility of David, the radiant message of Jeremiah, and then last week was the radiant perfection who is Jesus, and today we're talking about our radiant hope, our radiant hope. And, you know, I think it's um, appropriate that we talk about hope, especially during this time of year, because as we look into the new year, I think this time of the year always just kind of fills us with some hope. That is, we hope for a better year next year. We have hopes for 2024, right? We, we hope that um, we're going to have maybe better health, or we hope that we're going to have better relationships, or we hope that that situation, that health situation will get better, and so we have these hopes. And so it's appropriate that we talk about hope as we get into the new year. And this is why we make New Year's resolutions, right? We make these promises to ourselves because we want to kind of arrange our lives in order to realize that ideal, that hope that we want to have in the next year. And so this time of year should also kind of remind us, though, of this radiant hope that we have, this radiant hope this bright and shining hope that we have because of Jesus. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference between these two types of hopes. On one hand, you have the New Year hope, right? And then this, this other hope that we're talking about today is this radiant hope. And the difference falls in a couple of places. In, in one sense, this New Year hope is something that you have to work for, right? This is something that you... Uh, Promise yourself now in order and work hard in order to get that thing, whether to get that body, to get that relationship or whatever, that promotion, whatever that is that you're hoping for, we work now and we work hard to get it. But the thing we know is that there's a lot of things that can threaten that hope. Maybe a job change, maybe a health issue pops up. Gosh, we know that a worldwide pandemic certainly can ha impact of what we're hoping for, wars happening in different parts of the globe. I mean, those, those things can threaten this hope, this new year hope that we have. But then on the other hand, we have this radiant hope, this radiant hope that is secured by Jesus. And what we know is that this is not a hope that you have to work for. This is not a hope that you have to resolve and say, man, I'm going to really work hard so I can get this hope. This radiant hope of Jesus is not something that we work for. Rather, it's something that we believe and receive. And that's amazing. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. 
And the thing is, unlike the New Year hope, nothing can threaten this hope that we have in Jesus. Nothing can threaten this radiant hope that we have in Jesus. No pandemic, no war, no nothing can separate us and separate this hope from us. Growing up, we say, it's Garen's ball bearings. It's guaranteed this hope. And so that's what we're looking at today. Excuse me. That's what we're looking at today is that we're looking at this radiant hope that we cannot lose. It's this promise that's coming that is guaranteed. It reminds me of, you know, out in Kapolei, we just got Chick-fil-A. You guys know Christian chicken? I don't know. Yeah, right. But you guys out here in Almona, you guys had it for a while. I said, ah, Chick-fil-A, all right. But man, out in Kapolei, everybody was excited because for months and months and months, the sign hung up in front of where they were building it Coming soon, Chick-fil-A. And so over the months leading up to it, in fact, the corporate um, person from Chick-fil-A comes from corporate. He's here in Hawaii. And what he does, he flies around the nation to help open these Chick-fil-A's. Well, he just so happened to show up at Harbor West. And so he's been coming to church for the last several months. And so they, had, they just had their grand opening, right? They just had their grand opening out in Kapolei. And this guy, who the corporate guy, he says, hey, by the way, the Kapolei store broke all records across the nation for grand openings. Okay, like 100% meant they blew, like Kapolei blew them out of the water. And so what happened is that there's this big hope, right? They're coming soon, coming soon, Chick-fil-A. And everybody arranged their lives around this, right? They canceled dates. They rearranged appointments just so that they can get into that massive drive through line to eat Christian chicken. And so, but this is, this is what we do, right? We, we arrange our lives around this hope. And so when we think about this radiant hope, and what we're going to read about this radiant hope in a moment in Revelation chapter 21, we see that this causes us to live differently in light of the hope that's coming. It actually affects us, and it actually changes some things about us in which we start to live a little differently. We start to rearrange our lives in light of what's coming. So with that said, let's read today's passage. Today's passage is found in Revelation chapter 21. We're only going to read a few verses from 9, verse 9 through 11. So let's read and then we'll, we'll talk, we'll unpack this. In verse 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So here we have the Apostle John writing this letter called Revelation to the early first century church. I think we might know that the first century church at this time was under severe persecution of Rome. And so John had these visions, and he had a series of visions, and he put it down, and he composed it into an epistle, and he circulated it among the churches there in the the near Middle East. And we see in in this vision that, first of all, this angel takes John and puts him, and it gives him, it puts him on this high mountain. And every time you get a gain, a 
a view from a high place, you, you get a perspective. And so what John is seeing is the lens being pulled back. And from this high mountain, he gets a perspective of a, another city, this new city that's coming. Because if you put your shoes in, put yourself in the shoes of the first century church as they're being persecuted by Rome, the only city that they can see is Rome. All they can see is this city that is abusing and persecuting them, killing them, doing away with them. And so John gets his vision and he circulates this vision to the churches to give them this hope because he pulls back the lens and he says, there's a city that's coming that's beautiful and that's holy and doesn't abuse its power and doesn't hurt its people. And so he gives them this great sense, this great vision, this great hope when all that's in front of them is the great city of Rome that is hurting and persecuting them. And then he says, I see this city, and it comes from God. And this city is actually the wife or the bride of Jesus. And so this city that comes from God means that this city is with God. And so these first century Christians are reading this letter Seeing this great hope because, man, when you're persecuted and when you're going through something in your life and when you're suffering and when it's, and the pain and the hurt is real and in your face, God feels like he's a million miles away. But here this hope is saying, man, these people, this church, this city comes from God. This is God's people and they come from God because they are with God. In fact, they're so close to God that it's like a bride is close to her husband. That is, they're united by this covenantal love. That's how close they are. Man, what great hope, right? If you're a church in that, during that time, if you're living during that time, yeah, there's great hope when this letter comes to you. And then uh, uh, John says that this city or God's people is arrayed with glory, with God's glory, that it's, it's radiant, it's a shining city. Nothing clouds this city. Nothing clouds the glory of God. This tells us that the stain of sin and death and decay are no more. They are washed away. And it says that this city is clear as crystal. Clear. Nothing clouding it. No stains. No blemishes. What a great hope for a church when death and brokenness dominates their lives. So this is the vision that we see of this radiant hope, this radiant hope for God's people who are under severe persecution. And this letter was given to them so that they could be encouraged, so that they could persevere and, and keep going. It was to assure the church and God's people that sin and death do not get the last word in this life. Friends, this radiant hope, I think we all know, is not only for the first century church, but this is our radiant hope as well. And like I said earlier, this radiant hope isn't a new year hope in which we are to work for. Rather, this is a hope that we believe and receive, and it's secured and paid for by Jesus. So we have this radiant hope that's coming, right? That's kind of in front of us, the coming soon sign. But just like the Chick-fil-A people, we also rearrange our lives in light of what's coming. We rearrange, and, and certain things start to happen, and certain things actually maybe start to change 
in our lives. And this is what we want to kind of unpack for the rest of our time, is that we want to look at three ways, three ways that this radiant hope that's coming actually affects and changes our lives right now, right today. So three ways. The first way is this. Radiant hope changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see ourselves. Now, if somebody were to ask me, or maybe ask you, like, so how do you see yourself? Well, that's a kind of a deep question for a Sunday morning, but how do you see yourself? Right? And maybe some of us, maybe if you're like me, I would describe or see myself according to my personality. Maybe that's the same for you. Well, I'm an extrovert, or I'm an introvert, or I'm a little bit of both. Or maybe we see ourselves through the lens of what we do, right? This is my job. This is my career. I'm a parent. I'm a student. And so we see ourselves according to what we do. Or maybe we see ourselves according to our past, right? Something maybe happened. Maybe there was a situation or a circumstance that happened in, in, in your past, and that's how you kind of see yourself. That's kind of how you define yourself. If you were to ask me, how do you see yourself, Mike? The last thing I would say is that I see myself as Jesus' wife. I don't know, it feels a little weird sometimes, you know, to kind of think that. I mean, I know it in my mind. The last thing I would say often is that I'm united with Christ, like a husband is united with his wife. But that's the truth of it, is that as the bride or as the, the, the wife of Jesus, as the church, that is how we see ourselves, that we are a people who are united with Jesus, we see ourselves as a people who have this bond with Christ that is wrapped in covenantal love that cannot be broken. And that we have this security of this love, regardless of what's happening in our lives. We have this, we have this security of this, of this united uh, and, and covenantal love with Jesus. And I wonder that in light of our radiant hope, can we start maybe seeing ourselves a little bit more as people who are united with Jesus? And this is powerful. The fact that nothing can separate the love of God, separate you from the love of God, as Paul says in Romans, right? There's nothing that can break this bond. This covenantal love is sure and secure and nothing will threaten it. Because we see ourselves united with Jesus. And this is super powerful. It's a super powerful way to live. Because as we are united with Jesus, means that we will never lose the love of Jesus. Which means that we have nothing to lose. I'll say it again. As we see ourselves united with Jesus, it means that we can never lose the love of Jesus, which means that we have nothing to lose. We can live as people with nothing to lose. What that means is that it can be all stripped away. Everything can be taken away, even our lives, and yet we lost nothing. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. John's vision shows us that even if we lose it all in this life, we have everything in the next. There is no deficit. And this is powerful 
for us because it means that we can actually live lives that are lives that are open-handed. Open-handed lives versus closed-handed, closed-fisted lives, just grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and holding on to and gripping with a grip of death versus, man, we can relax our grip. We can live with these open-handed lives because we have nothing to lose. So I'll give you an example of what this might look like. So I have three kids, and when they're all younger, they're all older, but now when they're, when they're younger, the youngest one had a birthday, and so we said, we're going to invite all his little friends over, and we're going to throw him a birthday party, and we're going to get him a piñata. But we're too cheap to buy a piñata, so we made our own, all right? And so uh, we ran around the house, found all the cardboard that we could find, created it, created it, it was kind of a weird, uh, it's kind of a amoeba-shaped kind of piñata, wrapped it up with duct tape, and, you know, colored it with some crayon and said, okay, here's the piñata, let's go. Fill it up with candy. And so we got all the kids together, and you guys know the scene, blindfold them, got the broomstick, and they start whacking at this piñata. Well, they can't break it because this cardboard is like three inches thick. It's full of duct tape. They just, they can't get through it. There's no way these little kids. So I step in thinking, well, okay, I'm the dad. I'm going to break it, okay? I start whacking this thing. It won't break. I'm like, uh-oh. This is, a, this is a situation, right? So I get out my chainsaw, and I'm about to cut through this thing. And as I'm about to open this thing up, I notice that my two older sons are kind of in a football three-point stance, and they're like anticipating the candy falling out of the piñata, ready to dive in. They're going to box out and run over every little kid so that they can get piñata. I'm like, this is not a good situation because, man, somebody could die. And so, so I pull the two older boys aside and say, look, you guys cannot dive in there and hurt all these little kids. I'll tell you what. In the house, I have a gigantic Halloween-sized uh, bag full of Jolly Ranchers. It's yours. You guys can have it. Just let the little kids get their candy. And they're like, shoot, Dad, that sounds like a good plan. And so that's what we did. And so when the piñata finally opened after about four hours, all the candy fell. And guess what? My, my two older sons, they could step back and let the younger kids grab their candy because they could be open-handed. Why? Because they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming in the house. So that frees them up to live these open-handed in an open-handed way. Well, it's the same for us. If we really see what's coming, we start to see who we are, truly who we are, that we are united with Christ, we can never lose this, lose this love, therefore we have nothing to lose, man, we can live in that crazy way that Jesus said that we should, like, pray for your enemies? What? Bless those who persecute you? No way. Live sacrificially, live generously. Are you crazy? I got to get what's mine, man. But we can live open-handed, and we can pray for enemies. And it feels like losing when we pray for enemies. When people hurt you, and you try to bless them, and you, wanna, and you pray for them, it feels like you're losing. And the world would look at it and say, why do that? That is losing. But we're free. We're free to lose. We can live open-handedly because we know what's coming because of our radiant hope. We can live generously. We can live sacrificially. We can show sacrificial love to others in the church and those outside of the church. Why? Because we have nothing to lose. Yeah, it's going to cost you time and energy and money and all of these things. And it feels like, man, I just, it's, I'm losing, I'm losing. But my friends, you've lost nothing because our radiant home tells us that we have this love, the sacrificial love of Christ that is ours now and forever. 
So it changes, right? When we start to see ourselves as people who are united with Christ, we start to see ourselves differently, then all of a sudden we, hate, we start to live differently. We start to actually maybe follow Jesus in, us in, in, in a lot of ways. Some of his crazy stuff that he said. And we actually say, I can live like that because everything is coming to me. Jesus is my everything. So that's the first way that we live under the influence or in light of the radiant hope that's coming. The second way is this, is, is that it changes, it changes us by how, uh, it changes how we see our life's purpose. How we see our life's purpose. If anybody's ever come up to you, maybe in school or when you're younger, so what's your purpose? Maybe even now you're struggling with that question. What's my purpose? Whole areas of philosophy are dedicated to answering this question, the meaning of life. But see, in light of the radiant hope that we have, we start to see and change the way we see our purpose. Because a lot of times our purpose or our meaning in life is, is wrapped up, and you guys know this, I'm the same way, it's wrapped up in our career and what we do in our families, or maybe we take up a cause and that's our purpose. I was just listening to a podcast and the guy being interviewed was asked that question. He said, what's your purpose? He says, my purpose is three things. To live simply, to be happy, and to live a legacy. Okay, but is that really our purpose? Is that really the purpose of humanity? See, for the believer, for those who are united with Christ, we're not meant to be on this eternal hunt for our purpose. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he kind of sums it up. Like, here's your purpose, if you're united with Christ, here's your purpose. And he says this in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything you do for the glory of God. If you remember back in Genesis, the creation, God created mankind, Adam and Eve, to be image bearers of God, and they are to reflect God's glory. That was their mandate, was to bear fruit and multiply and go out and fill the earth so that God's glory, which means his weightiness, his importance, his beauty, would fill the earth. And it's done so because we are mirrors or we reflect God's glory. And this is what Paul sees. Excuse me, John sees in his vision, he sees the church, the people arrayed in God's glory. That is, they are fully realizing their purpose, why we even exist, which is to reflect God's glory. And a lot of times the purpose is, well, you know, I'm just here to maybe make some money and make some babies and then have a great retirement, and that's my, I'm fulfilling my purpose. And maybe kind of do some good along the way. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with that, but we see that that's too short, that's too small, it's too small of a view. That when God created humankind, he gave us this purpose, this mandate to fill the earth with his glory. Now, of course, it all went sideways, right? Adam and Eve, they tried to seize glory for themselves by doing what they wanted rather than what God wanted. They put more weight and importance on their agenda than God's agenda. 
But when you get saved, and when you're united with Christ, what God does is that he actually restores our original design and purpose. And he does that right now. He puts us on this course where we, where we start, stop living for our own agendas and what we think brings us glory. And we start to live in a way that actually brings glory to God. And we start to see our purpose in a different way. And how does that look like? What does that look like to live and do everything for the glory of God? How do you do that? Well, I love what Martin Luther said. He was talking about shoemakers. And he said, Christian shoemakers, their job isn't to make a shoe and put some crosses on it and write a scripture or a Bible verse on, on the soul or, or anything like that. He said, a Christian shoemaker, their job is to make good shoes. To make good shoes. And that's what brings glory to God. See, I think for us, it's the same way. Whatever you have in front of you to do, whether that's a career or raising kids, your family, some relationships, whatever is in front of you to do, that is the vehicle by which you bring glory to God. How do you do that? By doing really good work in that. By doing really good work in that. And, and what changes is that rather than doing this career and this family and all this to, that brings kind of glory unto ourselves, we say, no, this is something that actually God is giving me this ability, this power, this insight, this intellect, uh, this strength in order to do this job, to raise these kids, to do this relationship. Why? So that he can be glorified. And that changes everything. That changes everything. So no longer are we folded on into, into our own selves it's just like, okay, what's my purpose? I said, man, my purpose is glorify God in whatever God has put in my life or whatever is in front of me right now. So for sure, getting a job, making some money, making some babies, and having a nice retirement, all good. It's all good stuff. But remember, the ultimate purpose the ultimate purpose is to glorify God. And this is what John sees in this radiant, hope, hopeful vision. He says, a church arrayed in God's glory, fulfilling its purpose by perfectly emanating and radiating God's glory. So that's the second way by which we live in light of this radiant hope that's coming. And then finally, the third way, how we live today in light of this radiant hope is that well, it changes how we see life's difficulties. It changes how we see life's difficulties. So if we look, look back at the passage we just read, he's, John sees the radiant church. He has a radiant church, but he describes it like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I didn't really know what a jasper stone looked like, so I looked it up. And uh, jasper is not clear. It's not clear as crystal. And so I was like, okay, how come you both, you know, kind of there's, you have opaque and you have translucent. But here, because this is ap apocalyptic literature, right, you have both. The church is precious and it's clear. It's precious like jasper and it's clear like crystal. And it's here that we see that to be clear as crystal means that the day is coming, my friends, when sin, death, and decay are no more. 
That is, our lives are no longer clouded. They're no longer blemished by the effects and consequences of evil and sin. The day is coming when evil is eradicated from this earth. And it's hard to imagine that because just like the Christians back in Rome, brokenness and death are very near to us. We see it, whether it's in the news or in our own lives by the people and loved ones that have passed away or who are sick. We see it. It's right up front. There's no one who's not touched by it. And so it's hard to imagine a day that's coming, right? It sounds like preacher talk. Okay, Sunday, so you got to say that, right? You know, no more sin, no more death. But this is exactly what's happening. This is what's coming. This is what's coming, and, it's tell- and, and the sin and the brokenness and the death will, will be undone. Jesus is coming back, and he's not just sweeping all the bad things away. It's like, okay, yeah, just forget it. He's actually bringing vengeance and recompense and payback because he is just and righteous, and he's going to deal with it. And he deals, deals with it so much that his church will be crystal clear, unblemished, untouched, evil and sin totally eradicated from the earth. This is why in verse 4 of our chapter, a little verse, a few verses up from where we, where we read, it says that he will wipe, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. My friends, this is our radiant hope. We will be crystal clear. But we know that in this world, when we suffer pain, we know that something is wrong. Pain is a signal that something is wrong. That's why when I'm in my office and I reach for something in the printer and my whole right side cramps up, I know something's wrong. This should not be. How can I just cramp up from just doing one simple reach? I guess that's old, being old. But pain tells us that something wrong, something's wrong. But because of our radiant hope, we know that, or because of this radiant hope, we start to change how we see life's difficulties. And this doesn't mean that we stick our head in the sand and pretend that it's not even there. Rather, life's troubles become a reminder. It becomes a reminder. It becomes a signal of the day that's coming when God does get rid of all evil from the earth once and for all. And this is a different way of seeing trouble. It actually, the pain that, that comes into our life is a signpost. It actually causes us to thirst and long for the new heaven and the new earth, this city. It causes us to long for and, and hope and believe that and the day is coming when we will have Jesus perfectly and forever, which means there's no more sin, there's no more death. The sting of death is gone. Paul, to his, his second letter, letter to the church in Corinth, he says this. He says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable internal weight of glory. In other words, Paul is saying that the, the, the troubles that we feel and experience, the difficulties of this life is, is light compared to the weight of God's glory and this radiant hope that we have in front of us. It's so light and it's momentary. It doesn't mean that it's not real. 
It doesn't mean that it's not painful, but in comparison to what's coming to, to us, this great hope, this radiant hope, man, it's light. We can endure. We can persevere. Paul continues on in the next verse where he says, Therefore, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So yes, we deal with troubles. We deal with it. We face them head on. But the day is coming where we will be crystal clear. So as we end 2023 and we head full blast into 2024 and out, out on the west side, we're getting ready for the war zone. You guys know what I'm talking about. As we get ready for that, man, we can head into 2024 knowing that we have this great and radiant hope. My friends, the day is coming where we will be crystal clear, arrayed in God's glory. Because we're with God and we have God now and forever. So yes, make our New Year's resolutions. Absolutely. Let's make these resolutions for 2024 because man, we're hoping for a better year. Maybe this was a rough year. Maybe you had some rough patches. So yes, we need to hope for a better year. We need to start making arrangements and, and working for that. But along with that, and even above that, and beyond that, may 2024, and as we wrap up this year, may, may this be a time where we actually lift up our eyes, and let's look beyond 2024, and beyond maybe even this life, and see the, the forever radiant hope that's coming, the hope that you don't have to work for, the hope that was bought and paid for by Jesus, that is secure and guaranteed forever. And how do you know it's secure and guaranteed? It's because Jesus resurrected from the dead. He said what he was going, he did what he said he was going to do. And Jesus is alive. He came out of that grave. If he didn't resurrect, all bets are off. He's just another cool dude who died for what he deeply believed. Lots of those guys around. But Jesus came out of the grave. He resurrected. He ascended up into the, uh, to the Father, and he's coming back again. He's coming back again. And because he resurrected, we know that he keeps his promises, is true to his word. And friends, that's why a radiant hope is secure. So maybe you're here today, and you're asking yourself, well, how can I get this hope then? How do I, I mean, do I just, I just believe and receive it? You see, just like we sung, our hope is Jesus. Our living hope is Jesus. And you get this hope when you say, I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus for my salvation. And maybe today you realize, maybe for the first time, that you can't earn this salvation. You can't just be religious and then somehow God says, good job. The Bible tells us that we all fall short of God's glory. The only one who fulfilled it was Jesus. And then on the cross, he goes and he dies the death that you should have died for the sin that you committed. He lived the life that we should have lived. And then he comes out of that grave, proving that his atonement, his forgiveness, his pardon for our sin is real. And so we receive it by receiving Jesus. And we say yes to Jesus. 
I trust Jesus for my salvation. And we receive this radiant hope. Because my friends, as we come to the close of this year and this message, we can live differently. And it's only because Jesus secured our radiant hope. And we can live differently by seeing ourselves different, by seeing our purpose different, and by seeing life's difficulties different. And that's living in light of this beautiful, radiant hope. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, it is um, super hard, crazy hard at times to see this hope, especially during this time of season where, you know, we just got through Christmas, we have the new year in front of us, and everything and all the things that that demands and all the good things that this demands. But yet, God, our prayer this, this final Sunday of 2023 is that you would lift our eyes, help us to see this radiant hope, help us to live in light of this radiant hope. And the only way we can do that is not by being good people and getting our act together. It's all by surrendering to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus. So God, help us to be a people who not just said yes to Jesus at one time in our lives, but continually, every day, saying yes to Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this radiant hope. Thank you for the communion table that we are about to approach, the elements that we're about to receive, the bread and the the cup. Lord, that showing that we are united with you. One One more Sunday where we get to have the assurance that we have your love. We have this love, this covenantal love, united with you, never to be lost, never to be broken. So we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Communion is a time where